dos. And we good. Okay, so we have today the Astro Nick. Yay! On the Diodos podcast interview slash uh, call. How you doing, man? Doing all right. How are you? Good, good, good. So what were we talking about before we had these technical difficulties? So uh, by the seat of your pants, you were doing this uh, this, this lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, from I got most of my info uh, about your profession from there. So, <laughs> well, that's a good so, uh, crash course on it. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, aerospace engineer. Uh, we know each other through West Virginia University. Um, you're actually uh, born and raised in West Virginia. Is yep. that correct? Yep. Uh, born in Beaver, West Virginia, is my hometown, but no one knows where that is. So I usually say Beckley, West Virginia but only a few more people know where that is. Actually, I think I think I've been to Beckley uh, for some soccer, some soccer stuff. There is a really nice uh, YMCA complex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I forget, honestly, because like we travel around, we play on the field. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. That's all I remember when I play soccer. I'm just like <laughs> in the game. But... I mean, did you did you play any sports in in high school? Uh, I played soccer actually. I uh, really yeah. I started when I was four and uh, played all the way up through high school, and then uh, this this last decade I really haven't played that much. But uh, just recently down here in Florida, I got back into a uh, a co-ed rec league. Okay, it's been a good time. I I I'm a left midfielder uh, by trade. Uh, mm-hmm. Same actually. <laughs> it's a great position. It's it's a lot of running for it sure. It really is, yeah. Uh, I've always tended to veer more towards the defensive side of it. Uh, Same, damn. Yeah. We have a lot in common. There you go. <laughs> and um, so, so you you played for what? What's your high school's name? Uh, Shady Spring High School. Shady Spring. Okay, then. Mm-hmm. Is that what's the? Is that the big? Is that a public yeah. school? Uh, it's public school. Yeah, uh, Woodrow Wilson is the main high school in Raleigh County around Beckley. Got you, got you. Yeah. So, uh, growing up in 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 Beaver, um, how was uh, how did you how was your upbringing? Uh, pretty quiet, I would say. Uh, yeah. You know, my uh, my dad fixes mining equipment for a living and made a has made a pretty decent living for himself. Uh, my mom was always a stay at home mom, and uh, growing up. It was a lot of soccer games and a lot of going camping and the parks and um, video games. Uh, you know, pretty pretty typical uh, upbringing, I would say, in a rural area. Right, right, right. right. And uh, would you say, I mean, Beaver is a small town? Oh, like... yeah. I mean, it's... Beckley is like the the eighth largest city in West Virginia, and Beaver is like a suburb of that. Oh, I see, I see. Was yeah. it the, was? Did you guys have a Walmart? Uh, I think there are two WalMarts in Beckley. Oh, uh, oh, in Beckley. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the distance between these places is not far. They kind of yeah, run yeah. together, but uh, yeah, Walmart was a typical stop. I remember as a kid. 
uh, I would go and they, they would have the TVs with the game consoles hooked up to them. Mm-hmm. And I would just like beeline to the video game section while my mom did everything else. And I would just stay. Oh, that was the best. Play whatever. <laughs> for, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for some reason, I mean, Walmarts were always like, I don't know, man. Like I go to Walmarts around New York. Like I, I grew up in West Virginia on the Eastern Panhandle. But also a little bit, I grew up in, in Long Island, New York, and the Walmarts in West, West Virginia, or at least where I grew up, were fantastic compared to like the ones out, out here. Um, up to your establishments. I mean, you at, at the Walmart in Beckley, you could uh, you could get your hair cut, you could get all of your groceries, you could uh, go to the eye doctor. I mean, you, anything yeah. you needed you, is all right there. It really was there. So, okay, so pivoting from Walmart, uh, growing up right now you're an aerospace engineer mm-hmm. what uh like what do you think kind of like pushed you to choose that that career uh so in eighth grade uh i went on a spring break vacation with my mom and dad and we mm-hmm. went uh over the course of spring break which is one week we went uh from beckley west virginia to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, because that's where everyone in West Virginia goes on vacation. Yeah. Uh, so we went to Myrtle Beach and then uh, stayed there for like two or three days and then drove down to uh, Cape Canaveral, Florida and mm-hmm. went to Kennedy Space Center. And uh, we had timed this so that we were there at the center the day that there was a rocket launch. And so uh, the visitor center is about 13 miles ish from the launch sites and Mm -hmm. i remember being an eighth grader and you know when the rocket is about to launch the the whole place just kind of stops and everyone's like looking in the same direction and uh i remember watching this rocket go up and even from that distance you can feel like the rumble in your chest and uh, the sound and the gust of wind and everything and i was like yeah i kind of want to do that (laughs) Uh, yeah man and so uh, you know, from there, I went into high school. I took physics, really liked it, uh, took physics again with more of like a calculus focus on it. And then, mm-hmm. uh, got into a couple schools, uh, for college, ended up choosing West Virginia cause it was the one that my parents and I could afford. Uh, yeah. and then studied aerospace engineering right from the get go and, graduated in four years uh had a short-lived attempt at getting a master's degree in it but that didn't pan out uh and you know now we're here now we're here so now we're here it's 2020 you go on the astro nicks instagram page and or or twitter and you just see like a lot of dope shots of of the sky yeah a lot of dope shots of the sky little tidbits of like um you know, some data points, a little, a little insight on like what's happening in the polar ice caps. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, what is going on uh, while you're in the air. So you're in the air a lot. What, what are your hurricane hunter is what I see. Yeah. It's uh, so my, my job, part of my job, part of my job is sitting behind a desk and doing aerospace engineering stuff. Uh, and then the other part of my job, is uh, serving as an aircrew member aboard these research flights. And we've got a 
bunch of different aircraft that we use to support a bunch of different missions. Uh, everything from hurricane hunting to uh, Arctic sea ice surveys, uh, marine mammal surveys, um, and all of this stuff I get to play a part in. And mm-hmm. that part is sitting in the back of these aircraft and operating data systems, uh, launching data gathering instruments off of the aircraft, uh, and really just making sure that the mission goes smoothly and safely uh, and effectively. And so, you know, I've been in this job for three and a half years now, and mm-hmm. I have spent several weeks in the Arctic uh, flying those Arctic sea ice surveys. I've flown through, I think, 12 or 13 hurricanes, and that's not including storms that were just tropical storms. Damn. Uh, and, I mean, all of this is to just help gather scientific data so that scientists can better predict weather or better predict sea ice setup rates or better understand um, marine ecosystems and how marine mammals are playing into that. Uh So really, it's just, it's in support of a lot of science. I'm not the scientist myself, but I'm on the operations side that the scientists need to get that data that they use. Right, right. And I saw this in in, in the other video, you you made a clear distinction. It's like, I'm not a scientist myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in in the operations. I I operate the instruments and get the data. Why is that distinction uh, important? Uh, It's important for me, because when I talk about these things, you know, whether it's hurricanes or Arctic sea ice or whatever, uh, my perspective is that of the operator of like, I gather all of this data and I see mm-hmm. like, like my interpretation of it is what my eyes see and what I can understand from it, but actually mm-hmm. getting into like the analysis of that data and what it all means, that is more the scientist role of things. Now, I am getting a master's degree in physical oceanography so that I can better understand those processes and talk about them with a little more authority than I have as the guy in the back of the airplane. (laughs) Right, right. You don't want to get on these interviews and people be like, yo, so like, you know, why is this happening? And then you're like, yeah, and it's like, like, I, I understand the scientific processes behind what's happening, but I don't have the hat per se, to actually be like, I know what's going on here. Right, right. Okay. So that I, makes I, sense. I that makes sense. I don't want to, I don't want to tell stories out of school, as they say, right. you know, I a lot of, a lot of people would just like talk and, you know, with authority and say, like, look at the, uh, observe, you know, with their eyes and then give their authoritative, this is a fact. And especially around these times. Um, yeah. And I, I, I feel like, you know, with most things in my life, uh, you know, you can see one thing, but the truth tends to be more complicated than that. Mm, that's true. That's true. Well, segueing from that, like making sure that's clear, mm-hmm. tell us what it's like to be in a hurricane. Cause you're literally going into hurricanes, going into these storms in a, what it seems like a, a relatively small aircraft to the, to the storm itself. So, well, I mean, when you compare it to the storm, yeah. But uh, as far as aircraft size goes, um, the the kind of aircraft that we use to fly through these storms is called a, a P-3 Orion, which yeah. uh, the Navy used to hunt submarines. But we have two that are specifically designed for NOAA to do hurricane reconnaissance flights. And um, 
it's about the size if you've flown uh really any like domestic airline uh it's about the size of a 737 or like an a319 or 20 or whatever oh uh yeah so it's like not this one yeah it's like a pretty decently sized aircraft um and i mean those airlines will cram you know over 150 people on those airplanes but we usually have about 15 to 18 people on board right right so there's, a lot, there's there's leg room. There's leg room. Well, yeah, there's leg room. Uh, we certainly, you know, pack them to the brim with scientific instruments and computer systems and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but flying through the storm, I always liken it to being on a wooden roller coaster, mm-hmm. wherein, you know, it's just constantly vibrating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Constant rumble. And... Uh, Every now and then, you know, we'll get in a strong updraft or a strong downdraft and you'll get those big hits where, you know, your stomach kind of goes up through you and back down. I'm uh, imagining that right now. Yeah. I freaking love roller coasters, by the way. But. <laughs> and so on all of our seats uh, on that aircraft, we have um, five point harnesses that we strap in with. And so you've got, mm-hmm. you know, your standard lap belt, but then you have two straps that come down over your shoulders as well. And there's a strap that comes up between your legs just to make sure that you're not going, you know, flying when you're in this right. environment. Uh, right. And yeah, I mean, outside the window, it's just a lot of wind and a lot of rain. Um, sometimes it gets uh, to be so much that like there's so much rain going by that you can't yeah, yeah. Out the wingtip out the window. Sheesh. Like, yeah. Uh, right and 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 I encourage everyone to see uh, the video where you are talking to the uh, uh, what's it called the exploring by the seat of your pants video where you show um, your GoPro footage and your iPhone footage. Yeah, uh, I'll probably put the link in the description. Yeah. But there was this part where I saw that you were showing um, when you were going through the. I, I don't I don't know I guess when you're entering the storm mm-hmm. there's like a lot of water mm-hmm. but then after all of that rain after all that mm-hmm. storm you you go into this open space yeah and then you kind of look up and there's just like this it looks like the gateway to heaven like there's just a lot of clouds and there's a lot of light and it just looks so beautiful yeah what is that called so that's the you know that's the eye of the storm and uh oh, so that uh when storms get that powerful, um, all of the clouds in the center start to clear out and mm-hmm. you get, you know, just, uh, this, we, we call it the stadium effect because you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of just, it looks like you're standing on the field of a football stadium and right, right. you're just in this, this bowl, uh, that all of that energy in the storm is swirling around and all of it is just trying to get to the center of that storm. Right. Uh, and yeah, it, it is beautiful. Uh, it's like those, the, the bigger storms that have that look, uh, usually your, your major hurricanes, your category three, four, five, uh, those are the ones that get that kind of look. And, you know, they're terrifying uh, and destructive and horrible yeah. when they're coming to you. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, being in there and seeing that, spectacle mm-hmm. uh, every time i fly through a storm i just think wow like this is yeah this is something that not a lot of people get to see uh and 
you know, not be worried about the rest of the story yeah. coming for them. Right. I mean, it's such a, it's such a polar experience when you're just like in the, like that, that image of being like at the top, really beautiful. And it, how long does that last? Like being there, being able to see that? Uh, it depends like, on the size on of the storm. Flights. Um, so, I mean, on a, on a typical pass through the storm, uh, those, those eyes can be anywhere from like 20 to 50 miles in diameter. And mm. so usually it's not that long that you're in mm. there. Um, and so normally, you know, we, we get through the eye wall, we get into the eye and typically we'll uh, fix the center, which is mm. where we, we fly around and we're looking at the wind speed values uh, and waiting for them to drop to zero because when they drop to zero, that's like, that's the center of the storm. That's where all of that energy is trying to, is trying to get to. And so we'll mark that point uh, and then, you know, plot our track back out of the storm. And yeah, usually you're not in there for more than 10, 15 minutes, if that. Damn. Yeah. You, you are, I mean, if you post more pictures like that, man, you, you're on your way to being a, an influencer, a nature influencer. <laughs> you, yeah. I mean, do you also, I think about that, like that word, influencer, nature influencer. Do you think that'll be a thing ever? Uh, in, in what context? Or, or do you, like oh, on like, social media, in, on social in, media? Instead of trying to, to hype up the latest energy drink, you're trying to hype up the planet? Is that? Like hype up some science, hype up some, I mean, I guess Bill Nye was our pioneer I mean, there, there's certainly a, a lot of good, uh, you know, science influencers out there. Um, Emily Calandrelli, a fellow mountaineer, is, is one, out. more of the prominent ones. Uh, I've certainly, you know, been trying to craft that image for myself over the last couple of years. Um, and I think I really have a good job to do it with just because, uh, you know, I... I it, it, it's really a privilege that I get to I get to go to all these different places and uh, support all of these different missions and see all of these different things. Uh, and really, the the main reason that I'm sharing all of this, uh, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the hurricane pictures or uh, you know the stuff from the Arctic, is to just help. It's not for my own image to be like, oh, well, look what I did today. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Like it's it's to to raise awareness about like mm -hmm. what the mission is about and why we're there and why it matters to you. <laughs> right, right, right. And I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm kind of poking fun at the fact, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, people. I, even myself, like I just I post a lot of stuff just for for self maybe self-validation or just like yeah i mean we, put random we, stuff out there but we all do it i mean i i still do it on my instagram account i mean if there's ever a picture of me on there i've posted that because i thought yeah i look pretty good in this <laughs> <laughs> word word no but yeah i mean i think it's important also like um i mean obviously you know there are a lot of you know and if somebody's interested in science and and, and nature and all that they'll follow those accounts uh, however, I think uh, uh, accounts like yours, especially uh, that are actively, you know, posting beautiful stuff, you know, posting, uh, you know, data points, posting about your job, important, dope. But also you share some, uh, I guess, 
perspective about let's say like cl- climate change mm-hmm. um and i don't know i i still see people you know especially on twitter kind of denying it like kind mm-hmm. of not being like no it's not real like mm-hmm. the government is changing the weather whatever <laughs> agendas what what do you is the government changing the weather no uh not, not at all uh now <laughs> if you think about long term uh mm-hmm. and how you know climate is just the broad strokes of the types of weather that you can experience right like if you imagine mm-hmm. that, like you're bounding of like all right here's where we're at right now if you consider the fact that the united states government as well as everyone on the planet is contributing to rising carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, which we've known from research can raise global temperatures. Uh, On the longer scale, you can make the argument, well, yes, the government's changing the weather. It's more of we're changing the climate. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's a good point, actually. Inadvertently. Right. not, Not by some deliberate choice, but by simply participating in this world that we've created so that makes a lot of sense so i guess in in some way yeah i guess the government is changing the way (laughs) but it's not just the government right that's 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 society i guess as a whole exactly yeah so it's 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 not some grand conspiracy uh to influence things it's merely a matter of uh you know in the late 1700s early 1800s we figured out that we could burn fossil fuels and Mm -hmm. use those to our advantage. And we as a species have been doing that more and more every year since then. Right. And that process at first, you know, we didn't think, ah, nothing will come of this. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, with the perspective that we have and with the knowledge that we've gained, we realize that, oh, yes, well, actually, this is sort of a major uh, climatological and geological experiment that we're participating in. Right, right. Damn. So, I mean, from your perspective, and I know, uh, well, from your perspective, mm-hmm. how do we solve this? <laughs> or if, well, acknowledging that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And is it a problem? Oh, it's a problem. Yeah. Why why Uh, is it a problem? So we, by looking back through Earth's Earth's history with ice cores and sediment cores uh, and all of these these different geological tools, we've Mm -hmm. sort of painted a picture of what Earth was like millions of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the end of the Cretaceous... uh, the Eocene, the Miocene. I had a geological oceanography exam today, so I'm actually very up to speed on all of these terms. There's uh, a refresher. There's a pop quiz. <laughs> uh, and so we we've helped we we've painted this picture of the past, and we know mm. at different points throughout Earth's history, uh, it was warmer and it was colder at points. And we, using things like carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, different isotopes of oxygen, we can sort of piece together what the climate would have been like 
with certain levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, with certain mm. levels of uh, oxygen isotopes found in different parts of the ocean. And mm -hmm. so we are pumping a lot of carbon that is typically stored away in the ground mm -hmm. uh, back into the atmosphere. And so that is an anthropogenic forcing that is going to drive changes in Earth's climate. Now, those changes can be, uh, you know, different weather patterns in different parts of the world, not individual weather events, weather patterns. Mm -hmm. It's the important okay. distinction there. Uh, uh -huh. Weather patterns, uh, where which weather patterns affect where vegetation grows. Uh, weather patterns mm -hmm. also affect uh, how much uh, ice buildup there is in the uh, polar ice caps. Uh, and as we continue to sort of put that forcing in, we're going to get a feedback from that uh, throughout a lot of Earth's systems. And so, you know, the big one, especially here living in Florida, that everyone's mm -hmm. concerned about is sea level rise mm -hmm. and uh sea level Wait, rise. One, se one second sorry i think our i think our audio just disconnected oh no uh okay i think it just reconnected okay sorry go ahead sorry in florida so in florida uh we're concerned about sea level rise uh you know i don't live that high above the seawater <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and as uh, the Antarctic ice shelf melts, as uh, Arctic sea ice recedes, as Greenland melts, uh, these are all feedbacks that are going to have effects of rising sea levels, which is going to inundate a lot of coastal cities, uh, especially in North America. Uh, so places like Miami and Boston and New York City, uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg, uh, places off the coast of California, uh, it doesn't take that much sea level rise to, you know, a lot of these places aren't that high off the water. Uh, right. I mean, Miami today uh, is investing something like $400 million to raise streets in parts of the city to just keep them up above uh, the water levels because they'll get these sunny day floods where it's just, you know, streets will get inundated and be under, you know, six inches to a foot of water. And you think, oh, well, that's not, much, that's not that much water. But it's like, if you had to walk down the street in a foot of water every day, you're not going to yeah. walk anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's uh, some scary shit. I mean, we're not going to drown in a foot of water, but like, exactly. you can't live uh, there. And the, and the other thing is that, uh, you know, as the climate warms and you get these differing weather patterns, uh Places like, um, you know, small island nations in the uh, in the Pacific will begin that aren't very high above the water at all will begin to sink, and those people are going to have to go somewhere. Uh, places that are already exceedingly hot, like the Middle East, uh, will just get hotter, and mm -hmm. those people will have to go somewhere. And so, you know, we have to think about the consequences of our actions here. Uh, as we continue to pump more and more carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, like, okay, so so I guess the, the biggest 
feedback is definitely uh, to more carbon and 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 and, and uh, ice melting and raising the uh, sea level mm-hmm. uh, sea levels, uh, drowning out cities. There's like a a response from these cities now that uh, are more susceptible um, by building some structures that that that'll sort of like ray like protect them. But I feel like those systems are, are are temporary, right? Like, what 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 are, what are some of the timelines? If you're uh, so I mean, the a lot of models are going into what is Earth going to look like in 2100. So in the next mm-hmm. 80 years, uh, what is going to change? Uh, and in that time frame, a lot of coastal cities could assuming worst case scenarios could be inundated and that's going to be a problem. Uh, You know, and that's just, that's not even in, you know, a couple hundred years. That's the end of this century, which we are now a fifth of the way through. Shit. I mean, like, so if we have kids, Mm -hmm. they'll definitely see that. Oh yeah. Like I've got, uh, you know, I've got two nephews who are, uh, let's see, one's four and a half and one's two, almost three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they'll definitely be around for that. And so, you know, all of these models are based off of, oh, well, what's going to, what's Earth going to look like in 2100? And how can we respond now to not meet those worst case scenarios? Right. What, so, yeah, what are, what are we doing? Uh, what do we think we're doing? No, we're not doing much. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the the Paris Climate Accords were a big moment, but also kind of a letdown uh, because, you know, they, they set out ambitious goals and that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. they, there's really no way to enforce that, though, to say, hey, you're still polluting too much. You're still your carbon emissions are still way too high. You've got to right. cut that down. There's, and there's really no way to enforce that other than right. nations under their own volition deciding that, okay, we're going to do this because we understand the existential threat here. And I think the problem with responding is that the time scale that we're talking about of acting now to prevent things from happening in 50 years, 100 years, whatever, is something that we as a species have never had to do before. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything has just been relatively short term. Right. Here's what we're going to set out to do. Uh, and. Here, I'll just- and that's a cha- that's I think that's the biggest challenge is just getting people. <laughs> oh, we got that feedback. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is getting. Oh, has there been feedback in this whole time? Oh no! Sorry, one second. Okay.
fill. Weird. Hello? Hello. Fuck. Uh, why is it feedback? Oh, wait, do you have your mic muted? On the Instagram chat? On, on the on the iPhone. Okay, yeah, I just muted. I had it muted earlier. Right, right. Okay, so I think it's when we restarted the call. It kind of like... Okay. All right, so no, no more feedback. Okay. I believe. Okay, sweet. <laughs> um, shit. Okay, sorry. What, uh, we, what are we on? Uh, we were talking about uh, <laughs> getting people to think on a time long term yeah or, or yeah getting people to think long term right right so that's the challenge yeah. uh yeah and as far as as far as what you know what can we do to address this issue uh reduce carbon emissions is like it like yeah uh, so and there's probably and there's many i guess proposals for that there and i mean there's you know, umpteen ways to go about that. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, some attempts uh, to sequester carbon from the atmosphere back into the ground. Uh, right. Sort of a, a tech solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, there, there's people in some camps that think, oh, well, that's it. That's, we got it. Just Our brains will figure this one out just like we always have. And Galaxy I, brain. And I just think that on the scale that you would have to do that, I don't think there's a way that that alone is the solution. It's just not. I mean, we've been pumping CO2 at elevated levels into the atmosphere since the 1800s. You'd have to right. undo 200 years of that. <laughs> uh, Sheesh. And so, I mean, a lot of that carbon that has been pumped in the atmosphere, I mean, it gets sequestered down in the oceans and that's great. And the oceans up to now have done a great job of regulating the changes that would have come about from all of that carbon just hanging out in the atmosphere, but the oceans have taken it up for us. But the problem now is that the oceans are saturated. They can't take anymore. And so all of that carbon is going to stay in the atmosphere, which is where it becomes a problem as far as being greenhouse gas as far as rapidly changing the climate goes i didn't know that i didn't know like yeah. the ocean was fed up with our bullshit so when you uh you know you you hear about ocean acidification and how it potentially affects like coral reefs and that kind of stuff yeah uh, ocean acidification is a result of the oceans becoming saturated with carbon oh yeah shit <laughs> okay damn well, that's giving me a lot to think about. <laughs> and I hope it's given a lot of people uh, something to think about. Uh, I think I think there definitely are. And, and I mean, if there aren't already, like it's, it's it might be one of those things where it's like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I guess we can we can dwell upon like solutions and what it takes. But really... I don't know. It it seems like we don't have a lot of uh, influence 
um, as individuals or you, even as 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 a whole as a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's why people try to justify that you know maybe it's not a thing like. I mean that that may be uh, that may play into some people's denial of it. Uh, you know, it's easier to just say that it's not happening than to accept that we're not rising to the challenge of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's easier to turn a blind eye. Um, but I I have hope that, you know, as, as dreadful as things seem, right, uh, right, right. that we will respond to it uh and i i think that especially in the last you know two decades there's been a lot of uh misinformation and a lot Mm -hmm. of uh foot dragging and Mm -hmm. i think that i hope that our generation and the ones that are coming after us can sort of see past that and understand that this is, you know, a, a crisis, uh, maybe not to, you know, the existence of humans, but mm. to the existence of this wonderful type of world that we've created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, being able to chat with friends in New York City uh, is great. And this is right, right. A, a wonderful outcome of everything that we've built up to at this point. And right. to, to maintain that level of interconnectedness and to maintain that uh, capability to... Um, that capability to just enjoy the, the types of lives that we've come to enjoy, uh, we've got to make some changes. Uh, I see. And those changes, it's not, I mean, transportation is a big problem. So uh, cars put a lot of right. fuels into the air. Uh, yeah. Power plants put a lot into the atmosphere. Uh Power plants are a major, major source of it, though. And just shifting those from coal-fired power plants, from uh, natural gas uh, to wind energy and solar and, you know, all of this energy that's just kind of out there that we have not really utilized as efficiently as we can. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, we get so much sun every day, like... I wake up, it's a natural, it's a natural alarm. Yeah. You know, wakes me up, the sun's here, it's like, what's up? But also, if I had a few panels on the roof, you know, one, my electric bill wouldn't be so high out here. Everything in New York's expensive. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, we don't have to be, whenever, whenever I'm using my phone or my computer, I would feel better if it was, you know, the energy that that we get from the sun versus like we always think that to me my computer is a it runs on electricity that's true however how do we get that electricity Mm -hmm. like what does it take for that 
electricity to be generated these days. Like I feel so caveman, <laughs> so caveman. And um, uh, but right, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, um, you know, winds and solar are great. Uh, transitioning to those, you know, isn't an easy process. Uh, there's certainly a lot of um, materials and precious metals that go into those. Uh, and so, you know, when this is my optimism speaking, when mm -hmm. we make that transition to cleaner sources of energy, uh, we need to not repeat the mistakes of the past as far as extractivism goes of where we get those precious metals and how mm -hmm. we get them uh, and be more responsible as mm -hmm. far as, you know, where we get these materials. So for example, uh, lithium is very useful for batteries, uh, when it comes to energy storage, because right. obviously energy storage is important because the sun's up during the daytime, but at night you need something to keep you going. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, there's been a lot of controversy, uh, especially over the last, call it 20 years or so, uh, you know, as electric vehicles have begun to uh, become more prominent as, and as solar panels and everything else becomes more prominent about where that lithium comes from. Uh, right, right. And there's a part of South America, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, like right around that border, uh, where there are huge lithium mines. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the lithium that we have today comes from there. Mm -hmm. And the companies that have gone there and, you know, extracted that lithium and that wealth out of that region haven't really paid it back to the people who actually lived there. Right, right. And so and... when I think about that, yeah. uh, when I think about that kind of extractivism, I think about growing up in West Virginia and how coal mining was the resource that was extracted and not a lot of that wealth was put back where it came from. Uh, and Which so is messed up. So there's parallels there. There's absolutely parallels. Right. There. And I think that, you know, West Virginia as a prime example of we can do better than this. We mm -hmm. cannot make these mistakes again. We're smarter now. Right. Yeah. Do you have any... Uh, uh... Do you want to give any political shout outs for any West Virginia lawmakers out there or uh, potential or movements or projects that are working out there right now? Uh, so as far as West Virginia goes, uh, I've been uh, contributing to Stephen Smith's campaign since I think sometime last year uh, for governor. Uh, and that's my own personal contribution no affiliation uh, to anybody else any other or <laughs> that's cool that's a good uh, disclaimer uh and you know i for the past couple years uh i've talked with my friends about wanting to move back to west virginia and enact some kind of positive change and help enact more uh green energy friendly policies and sort of help shift the paradigm away from well this is how it was and this is how it should stay to right, uh, right. That's how it was, but this is how we could be doing it. 
Right. You know what's so dope? Also, uh, and I don't know what it's like in in the rest the rest of West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, but at least on the Eastern Panhandle, I have a lot of friends, and I know a lot of people who are like, like they are super liberal. For example, like mm-hmm. they you know want that green energy. They want uh, they're sustainable, vegan, whatever, and I feel like that like especially meeting uh people from other parts of the state as well like that's not just a concentrated thing on 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 my side of west virginia i feel like there's a lot of people who feel that way too and i and i see uh solar co-ops forming i see uh um you know and this is not related to energy but i see um but it might be i see a lot of uh cannabis co-ops forming a lot of movements that are typically more liberal trying to like fight what I guess a traditional uh, what what has been already happening in West Virginia, which is like a lot of coal mining, a lot of uh, con- conservatism on on many different topics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a, a, in terms of politics, a good sort of like uh, thing to point out is like I think in 2016, uh, West Virginia voted Bernie Sanders, typically a, a liberal, uh, seen as a very, very liberal or, uh, yeah, liberal candidate mm-hmm. uh, for the Democrats, voted Donald Trump for Republican. And it's a very, like, interesting because I, I don't see, you know, other states kind of be like that. It's not really like, I don't know. It's not really like, you, would expect- you know, West Virginia... You would expect in such a, a crimson red state like that that the, the you know the left side of the aisle would go for more of like a centrist candidate, right? But mm. what we saw in twenty sixteen was people wanted Bernie Sanders, which is like you know much further to the left on the spectrum, uh, and so uh, you could argue that that just paints to like a high level of polarization in the state of like, there's this faction that really is like far right of things. And there's this faction that's on the other side. Uh, But I, I, I don't think it's that way. Uh, You know, I, I grew up in West Virginia. I have plenty of friends who still live there Mm. and, you know, we don't always see eye to eye on things Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're never going to see eye to eye with everyone. But, you know, these aren't, you know, backwoods hillbillies that are, you know, so far behind that they should be left behind. That's not who these people are. These are people that are partly concerned because the coal industry has been a major employer in the state uh, for a long time. And now, you know, whether they like it or not, that paradigm is shifting to more Mm -hmm. green sources of energy. And it's not that I think they're opposed to that, uh, I think they're just concerned about, well, what happens to me in my livelihood? Right. And so, yeah, yeah, it's true. That's so. Like my dad, for example, fixes mining equipment for a living, mm-hmm. and so obviously he's supportive of the coal mining industry because that's his job. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But my dad's also just a good, honest, hardworking guy. And if he had an opportunity to not do something like that, but, you know, would still provide him, you know, a good living for himself and a good life for his family, I'm sure he would take that opportunity if it presented itself. 
exactly exactly so it, it, it makes you realize that it's it is like you know there there is you know what is good for the planet but also like we have to realize that people's livelihoods depend on you know these industries so you can't like it's not a light force it. right it's not a light switch exactly it's not a light switch yeah well that, i mean that's that's an interesting conver- conversation right there um and and uh, we can go you know into it uh some more i don't know if you want to add you know maybe something else on, on the in terms of policies and west virginia and, and things like that uh i mean i i have my own ideas about energy policies in the state uh whether they would actually become a thing or not if if if, if you can if you can do a light switch mm-hmm. what is like you know one thing that you would want to happen like next week in west virginia that uh, you think would have like the most impact so, positive impact so you know you mentioned uh solar energy co-ops right Mm -hmm. uh so if i had uh if i had the the capital right the Mm -hmm. the the funds to do it tomorrow uh, Mm um there's a lot of old uh strip mines in the state of west virginia that are now exhausted Mm -hmm. this was mountaintop removal this was everything was clear cut uh to you know have these big mines and now you know the coal seams have run dry and then it's just ah we don't do anything with them anymore Uh, but the infrastructure to get to those locations is still there the roads are still there uh most of them at this point aren't completely overgrown with trees or anything like that so if i had the capital i would get some of those old coal mines and put wind farms on them or put solar farms and then you know you have you get the the infrastructure there for that you run a cable (laughs) to the grid uh and what i would want is for those to be co-ops to have the local communities that would benefit the most from that energy output to partly own it and partly decide well here's how we're going to operate it and here's where that money's going to go, whether it's to schools, whether it's to uh, healthcare programs, whether it's to whatever. Right. Uh, and then, you know, if it grew in size such that, well, the local community is not even using as much energy as this plant or this farm is generating at this point, then they also get to decide, all right, well, where can we send this energy to? Uh, and then what profits can we get from that and how can we then reinvest that back into the community uh that's what i would do if i had the time and the money tomorrow that is that sounds very sensible and i hope somebody listens to this and is like let's fucking do that next week (laughs) Um, or or just start to do it uh and and i and i lived in west virginia for about nine years 10 years it's about mm-hmm. half my lifetime um and i feel you know very much west virginian even though like i can't say i was born and raised but i was i definitely live there so i feel like i don't know i feel like west virginia is going to be popping like in years to come mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of the people who left uh, a lot of the younger generation who was able to you know, take advantage of their educational opportunities. 
mm-hmm. and 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 left to get more money uh, elsewhere. I feel a lot like a lot of people do want to come back. Like I definitely want to come back, or at least like like own a home over there. I, I think would, it's. I would still live there if there was a job for me. Uh, yeah, you know it's it's a beautiful place. Uh, I Florida's okay, but there's no mountains, and I mm. really like going hiking on the weekends and. Uh, can't really do that here, but I could do Word. that in West Virginia. <laughs> that is true, man. And and also like the people, I f- I love the people, mm-hmm. uh, like the friends that I made over there, and and that I continue to make because there's a lot of West Virginians in here in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like, uh, when I go to other countries, sometimes I find like the flying WV just hanging out. Oh, dude! Uh, every time I've gone to a different country, whether it's in Europe or Central America or wherever. Uh, Anytime I like meet someone there and they ask where I'm from and I tell them West Virginia, they're immediately, immediately like, oh, country roads. And I'm like, yes, exactly. John Denver. (laughs) Shout out. Right, right. Yo. Yeah. I mean, also like with Diodos, um, we, it was uh, me and me and some friends started it. uh, We're, Pretty much we're all like transplants in West Virginia. And uh, one of the things that I want to do with uh, there's this project called Splash. One of the things that I want to do is highlight like a lot of the uh, artists, mostly rappers Mm -hmm. that are from West Virginia that surprisingly we don't like some of them don't even know that they each other exists. I mean, that's probably going to change soon, uh, you know, because the Internet's way more accessible. But at least like when I was in high school, rapping uh or even just like musicians in in west virginia there wasn't like a network Mm -hmm. but um on that note i know you're a big art guy i am i know i know you like uh uh, supporting your local artists as they say exactly uh who who are some you know but uh west virginia artists that you are looking at right now uh as far as just like like all types of media here, but yeah, all types of media, all types of media, all types of media. Uh, well, as far as visual media is concerned, uh, Julie Weingard, our good friend does some excellent mm. work. Also a, a New Yorker these days. I'm pretty sure. Uh, we have a collab, we have a collab coming up. Diodos and I'm still Julie. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as music goes, uh, my sister, uh, has a bluegrass band. And has had okay. bluegrass bands uh, for years at this point. Uh, What's the name? Plug her in. Uh, I'm well, sure a lot of people haven't listened to bluegrass outside so, of West Virginia. So, so, it's, so it's been a, a couple years since you know they've played a lot of shows because you know she has two kids now. Uh, mm. But back back when I was around in West Virginia and they were playing music, uh, Break Iron was the name of the band. Okay. Uh, they've kind of they've kind of pivoted more towards. Uh, they have a small farm now, uh, okay. like just outside of Morgantown, called Pike Mountain Farms, and uh, so their their focus is more on that these days. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, so I nice. you know, they she's doing great. She has like seventy six or more laying hens, which I don't know if you know this means seventy six eggs a day. <laughs> Whoa, which is a lot, right? But. I asked her about it. I'm like, right so to do this full time, how many would you have to have? And she said, oh, we'd need like a thousand chickens. 
Damn. Uh, but, That's <laughs> I know, right? Um, my uh, one of my best friends from high school, Drew, is a uh, writer, uh, mm-hmm. and potentially, uh, hopefully, later this year, has some uh, short stories being published. Uh, he has a novel, but it's been kind of put on the back burner as far as getting published. Um, right, right. But I mean, you know, I feel like just within you know the small amount of people that I've come in contact with, you've got this incredible talent, uh, just homegrown. Oh, definitely. And I, that's yeah. And I've re- I've recognized that there is a lot, and hope, and that's why I say like, in the years to come, man, West Virginia is gonna be popping. People are sleeping. <laughs> uh, speaking of stories, I ha- uh, this is a question that came um, from Twitter uh from anna okay. uh what fictional character from a book slash series do you identify most with and why uh uh hmm okay that's a toughie yeah that's so tough because there's so many characters that i'm like oh like every time you watch something or read something you you try to picture yourself as like the hero right yeah, uh, yeah for sure let's see. i mean if you want to be self-centered like that go ahead no i'm just kidding um hero or just main character uh i like to think i think it's just what whatever character Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be the hero even though like we all do want to see ourselves as the hero as you said um so i i have a a large uh, a large amount of passion um, for the Lord of the Rings. Uh, hey. You know, behind me, there's you know three prints of Gandalf in the different in the Fellowship, the Two Towers, and the Return of the King. Uh, I have seen on your on your Instagram too. Yes. Uh, so you know, I, I like to think. Um, I think Samwise Gamgee is probably if you were to ask me who, what type of character would I want to be? Uh, he probably exemplifies that. Uh, and why, why? Uh, I think he just, where's that connection? Where's that connection? Uh, he's, he's loyal to his friends. He has, a incredible amount of courage for someone of his size. Uh, and he also just, you know, appreciates the little details of things. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, when I think about, well, what, what sort of adjectives would I like other people to associate with me? I think those are some of the ones that I would try to, you know, identify with. Uh, I like that. That was a good question. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't even know. I wouldn't know how to answer that. But I think that's a, that's a dope, answer. Um, I I don't watch Lord of the Rings, so I can't really speculate anymore. I recommend. I yeah, I've been recommended. I just like I'm sleeping. I'm lacking. <laughs> it's so uh, good, man. I mean, uh, I I got into it, you know, when I was, you know, in my early teens, and there's it's just an excellent piece of fiction uh 
you really every every type of theme and uh, you know literary satisfaction that you could get out of something. Uh, I think it's got that. Right, right, and I I hear that too. Like uh, somewhere in my memory is that there's there's some professor somewhere that that gives the Lord of the Rings books out because that's where he believes that all of the other that that's where most of the pop culture stems from is rooted in in terms of storytelling oh uh, what, what's funny is that um every time i've shown someone the lord of the rings um and you know they ask questions they're like all right who's this sauron guy and i explained that like well he bound his soul to the ring so like as long as the ring survives like you can't really destroy him and they're like well isn't that just a horcrux <laughs> oh man and i'm like well yeah that's like where jk rowling got that <laughs> yeah oh, man but also like the fact that people are still comparing everything to harry potter i know i mean i love harry potter not gonna, i'm not gonna lie i mean if there was a, a character that i relate with or that i would say i relate with the most it, it is uh your boy harry but um <laughs> it's just it's, man is there, are there any other books that you guys read other than hp <laughs> um not hating though not hating i mean they were good uh, books. They were good books i'm calling you again good books good movies make sure to mute yourself yeah there we go hey. yeah okay but um going back to the to the topic of characters mm-hmm. your character on animal crossing yes where you at where you at though uh well so within the last two weeks, I've had uh, one friend send me a space suit to wear. Uh, another one sent me a space helmet. Really, I'm just missing the boots at this point. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if there actually are space boots. I bought some white boots with like some black accents. It, it looks good. So my guy's just running around. Flashy. In um, I, I've been really swamped with work and school stuff these last few weeks, so I haven't really put a lot of effort into it i mainly like log on sell my food <laughs> check the it's a lot actually and like just and just hop off right like that's i'll do the rounds in the morning and then be like oh, <laughs> i got it. it is some work though it is some work <laughs> it really is. it's so crazy it's so cra- i mean i literally i'm not gonna lie i just hopped on uh because i saw it trending and i saw that you can make custom clothes so i was like that looks like it's gonna be something, so I'm 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 gonna hop on the train right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, yo, oh, so let me hop into this topic now that you're talking about spacesuits and stuff. Mm-hmm. The Astro Nick mm-hmm. is your goal to go to space. This is the goal, yeah. It's uh, and it's tell it, us about that. It's been the goal since that since I first saw my first rocket launch. Right. Right. And so initially when I, you know, got on social media, uh, my handle was at the Nick U because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm Nick, my last name is Underwood, Nick U. But then I realized that a lot of people associated that with the neonatal intensive care unit, which is not something that you want to think about. All the okay. Time. And so that was bad branding for me. I uh, heard, I heard. So I think it was about branding at an early age. Yeah. <laughs> So I, well, it wasn't until, uh, 2015 that I changed that handle. Maybe it's 2015. Uh-huh. I can't remember. Um, but either way, I, I picked up the Astro Nick and I, 
base that off of all of these astronauts that I follow on Twitter and everything else, their right. handles are like Astro Reed or Astro Katie or whatever. Um, right, right. And the space gal. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, getting to space is the goal. And I'll be honest, part of it is just to go to space and be like, oh, here we are. Hey. Not many people have been here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you could say that my life is a string of trying to get places where other people haven't been. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of people have been in the eye of storms and stuff. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, it's 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 one thing after the other. Uh, so part of it is that that selfish pursuit. Uh, what is that? What is that? Um, what does that journey look like for people who are considering it? Mm-hmm. Like especially young people. I don't know. I, honestly, the the audience of this this uh show or interview i have no idea what their ages are gonna be i feel like i feel like most of the time they're adults i want to think they're usually adults but i remember when i was 15 i was the type of music i was listening to or the type of stuff that i was seeing on the internet so who knows who knows um but yeah what is that journey like uh so it's different for everyone um the the two that i always uh reference uh, are Reed Wiseman and Katie Coleman. Uh, mm-hmm. Reed Wiseman is still an astronaut. Katie Coleman retired uh, last year or the year before. I can't remember. Um, right. But I, I referenced them because I actually got drinks with them in Washington, D.C. once. Hey. Uh, so, uh, Wait, how did that, co- how did that happen? Uh, so I, uh, I was working for the Navy in Southern Maryland, and uh-huh. my mentor was like, hey, Reed Wiseman's going to give a talk in D.C. this Tuesday. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And so I went, and Reed gave this great talk. And uh, after the talk, you know, I got to meet him because my mentor and Reed were in the Navy together, so they're like old Navy buddies. And then uh, afterwards, we, like, leave the building. We're outside. My mentor's, like, furiously texting. And he looks at us, and he's like, do you guys want to get drinks with Reed and Katie? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and so it became uh it was the best tuesday night of my of my life uh and uh, what did you guys talk about uh i mean they they shared navy stories and all that kind of stuff and uh talking with reed and katie they asked about me and what my background was and i of course was like well i want to be an astronaut how do i do that uh and reed's advice to me and this is, you know, still advice that I heed to this day, uh, was don't sit behind a desk. And I thought, okay, that's something to do, something to strive for. And it's a gem uh, right there. Yeah. So, um, so from that, I then set out to find a job that got me out from behind a desk. And here I am now, I fly on airplanes into hurricanes, which, whoa, there it's just a desk on a plane in a hurricane <laughs> the context of the desk matters. all right we don't need to get into technicalities if our desks can fly through a storm i think you can say that's a little more than just being behind a desk uh but i mean as far as like the process goes the only requirements um you have to you have to have a master's degree they upped it from a bachelor's degree on this last round you have to have a master's degree uh you have to be a united states citizen and you have to be physically fit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like the basic qualifications. But the people who actually get selected are, you know, rock stars of their trades. Uh, mm-hmm. So Reed Wiseman, for example, uh, was a Navy pilot and was also, he went to the Navy test pilot school. Uh, he had a master's degree is in like systems engineering from, I think, John Hopkins. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, when he got the call to be an astronaut, he was flying combat missions in the Persian Gulf. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, his, that was his route to become an astronaut was the pilot route. And that's, you know, traditionally been the most common route. But then you have this other side of it with Katie Coleman, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was a chemist by trade. Mm-hmm. And so she was in like Southeast Asia looking for new plants to like synthesize pharmaceutical drugs from when she got the call to be an astronaut. So it's not really like any particular route, but certainly uh, being in a scientific field helps. Uh, Mm -hmm. But really just being exceptional at whatever you do is like the best way to go about it. Uh, Wow. And so, I mean, even, you know, teachers get selected uh it it really is just a matter of you know uh not only being exceptional but also being like well-rounded enough that you know you are able to stand out from the umpteen thousand people that apply uh so (laughs) i remember talking with reed uh he was like yeah my application i put everything down that i'd ever done (laughs) Uh, that is so fire he was like i made sure to emphasize that like i've ran half marathons uh wow so it's just like little things like that that can be like "Hmm, maybe that's enough sheesh yeah i i love that i don't know man like I, i i really hope you become my astronaut so we can do this again when you're in space yeah uh and i mean they, they just closed one round and I'm definitely not going to be selected because they raised the requirement to have a master's degree and there was fine print that you had to have the master's degree by the time the announcement mm. closed. And that for me was not going to happen. Uh, so I'm like, you know, eight months too late. <laughs> uh, You're still on your way though. You're on your way. So like in, you know, in another three, four years, uh, when they open it back up, I'll throw my name in the hat again and I'll have an even better shot than I had this time. And this time I had an even better shot than I had last time. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah. Keep that persistence. If if any way, if anything, it's a way to track my progress as a professional human. uh, Right. Right. By just comparing my different astronaut applications. (laughs) that's pretty that i mean that's that's probably like the the highest level of of keeping track because (laughs) i mean once if if it gets accepted then fuck it like that's you achieve probably like a a really great feat that a lot of people are trying to get if you don't you still have those benchmark applications that is trying are trying to yeah reach the stars literally yeah and it's like you know oh here's what i accomplished here's Here's the difference between like four or five years. Like here's everything that I did in that time span. Uh, and it's like, 
just a good way to reflect, I think. Uh, what What would you? Uh, and you you don't have to answer this, but what would you take? I get what would you take up now? Let Let's make this a benchmark. Also, like right now, how old are you? I'm 27. At 27, what would you take up to space right now? Like you're about to go on a mission. You're gonna be there for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you take up with you? Personal items. Uh, like what type of music? etc if i can only take a handful of things uh i'd probably take my acoustic guitar uh i would probably nasa would hate me for it but i would probably take my favorite board game which has a lot which is uh which is war of the ring which is a lord of the rings strategy board game (laughs) a uh i would probably take that uh and I'm trying to think if there's one particular thing. One like other an album thing. or a book. A book. Or, uh, an, or a music album. Ooh. As far as a music album goes, hmm. I, if I had to take a vinyl music album. Okay. Place, uh, in my opinion, uh, as far as, you know, more contemporary music goes, my favorite album on vinyl is Rubber Factory by the Black Keys. Uh, All right. I gotta look them up. It, uh, it has my favorite song on there, which is The Lengths, which is probably my favorite song to play on guitar. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd take those things. All right. That's pretty dope. Okay, so hopefully when you look back, you can be like, damn, when I was 27, that's what I want to take, and now I want to take all this other stuff yeah because i've grown just kidding (laughs) just kidding damn man well i want i I don't want to hold you for too much longer uh i I definitely want to um hopefully do do this again because i I dig it uh viados itself has like a a keen interest in what is uh you know environment Well, well we I don't even know how to explain this at this point. We're like a design company. We mm-hmm. put out merch, but a lot of it is just like things between friends. So like we talk about like climate change and apocalyptic scenarios and mm-hmm. playing around with those ideas and designs and stuff. Um, so we, 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 we are very honored to have you as a guest uh, to be able to talk about these things as well. And, you know, uh, sort of spread more uh, spread culture via this me- medium and, and talk about uh, a little bit about you know West Virginia as well mm-hmm. uh, but yeah man uh, thanks for coming on yeah thanks Seriously. for talking I'm, I'm always happy to do this kind of stuff uh, you know whether it's science or uh, any of the humanities or whatever i'm yeah yeah no no that's dope that's dope uh and i know you try to buy some some stuff off the shop and we weren't we didn't have anything so we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll stock up check, soon i gotta check back we'll see if you got no, we, we, we still don't have like we still don't have much so <laughs> you'll know you'll know when we when we get okay. more stuff hopefully you'll be 
impressed or maybe like maybe you're not going to want to wear some of the stuff but whatever you find but we're not ready yet we're still gearing up we're still gearing up but uh but yeah man thank you so much appreciate it a ton yeah thank you all right